Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Sate Corporate Training. A huge thank you to Craig Hass and his team for their ongoing support of the Collisions YYC podcast. 40% of people globally are considering leaving their employer before the end of the year, according to a 2021 survey conducted by Microsoft. Whether you're a senior leader, a manager, or an individual contributor, hearing that stat for the first time, it's going to get your attention. For me, aside from freaking me out a little bit, the first question I had to ask myself is why? Well, let's be honest. It's been 18 months of the pandemic, and many of us are left unfulfilled and looking for change. This may be tied to lack of perceived advancement in your careers over the past year, or by organizations being in survival mode versus growth mode, or simply being, quote unquote, locked in our houses for the last 18 months. We're looking for something different, and we're look, more importantly, we're looking for change. No matter what the reason, I think we're about to turn the corner to what is going to be the greatest economic opportunity of the past century. Are we ready? Since its founding in our province over 100 years ago, SAIT has been at the leading edge of what our citizens and companies need to be competitive locally and on the global stage. To find out more what they can do for you as an individual or as an organization, check them out at sait.ca slash corporate training, or better yet, open up your email and contact Craig Hess directly, craig.hess, at sait.ca. He'd love to chat with you, walk you through your needs, and more importantly, how they can help. Hello, and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Mark Mitchell. How you doing, Mark? Good, good. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure to be here. My pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. You are the principal and director at Red Thread Ventures. So before we go any farther, let's do the, we're in the elevator. We've got, you know, 30 floors. Tell me about Red Thread and what are you guys, what are you guys all about? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. So Red Thread is essentially an investment and advisory firm, um, although we're structured more like a community. Uh, so we're really built to help entrepreneurs uh, get financing and also uh, help investors like ourselves invest in great startups um, because we're, I think our thesis is that, you know, it's important to invest in the small and up and coming businesses. And that's the only way that we can, you know, accelerate uh, the switch from more of an oil or resource sector economy to more of a technological uh, focus in our economy. And that's, that's something we're really passionate about. And then we're also really passionate about, um, empowering people to get active in private equity investing because there has been so much wealth that's been generated in that sector but traditionally only a small percentage of people can actually play or even know how to play in that in that investment space so alternative investments like private equity and venture capital um, they can be huge wealth creators uh, and they can also really help uh, society as a whole if we get more people involved in those so that's really what, what red thread is about it's about helping entrepreneurs finding finance find financing and get financed um, but also help investors make investments into cool private equity opportunities that they otherwise might not have the opportunity to get exposed to. Um, so we have two investment funds that we've created to basically serve as syndication vehicles for smaller uh, smaller private equity investors, people that really want to get involved in P or venture capital investing, but you know, normally would look to write like a $250,000 check into some fund. Where with us, we're more so saying, hey, write a smaller check and we'll pool all of our money together, and then we'll take it and invest in this, you know, said opportunity. Uh, so we're really trying to polish companies and make sure they're truly investable, and then we're we're trying to actually, you know, empower people to invest in those companies. And then we obviously invest alongside into our fund, and we pool the resources and make one investment under the the brand of Red Thread Ventures. Okay, so I'm assuming Red Thread has a has a suite. And I know you guys. You guys are how long? You guys are about a year in. Like you guys are fairly new yeah, in terms so of we, the journey. Yeah. So Red Thread, it is a it is that's probably an important point to mention too. Like we're 
we're a pretty new new company. So technically, we were founded in late 2019, but we really didn't get started until Q1 2020. And we didn't even make our first investment until June 2020. So since then, we've made 14 investments, uh, approximately a million dollars. So, I mean, you can do the math with like the average check size. We're pretty early stage investors. Um, So we're typically playing in that like angel kind of like pre-seed, like probably before like institutional money would want to come. But before it's, you know, before it's too hot that the price goes up way too much. So kind of that sweet spot between like, you know, a three and like, five or six million dollar valuation so that's what we mean by early because that's obviously means different things to different people depending on geography and depending on you know what the way that you're looking at this stuff um and we're also like i said we're also helping companies uh get financed so we're trying to leverage our extended network of larger investors to also co-invest with us um and through that and so through our platform and process we've also helped those companies raise around four and a half million dollars. Okay. Oh, interesting. Um, so so, so you come, we're kind of doing both things. Would you be coming in kind of, I think about this, you know, again, the ultimate, I'm always drawing out the whiteboard of how money flows and size of company. So mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a small, I'm an entrepreneur. I've maybe done some friends and family. I've done personal investing. I've got skin in the game. Am I typically, am I revenue positive? Like, am I actually generating revenue when you guys kind of come into the conversation? Yeah, that's... <laughs> I think I think that's that's an easy thing to to measure traction like revenue generation, but there is you know it is important to know like some businesses like um, depending on what your industry is like med tech or biotech or um, we're working with one that's doing satellite space tech right now like those industries typically they can they can create it there can be a lot of value created just through like intellectual property or patents or relationships or their their customer pipeline. Um, or, you know, the, the management team maybe can add some, some, some value to the actual, uh, price that an investor would pay. So in those, in some of those situations, like we would make an investment before revenue is actually generated and we feel comfortable doing that. We've done that before. Um, but, you know, I think if it's like a SaaS business or if it's an asset light business, that there's not a lot of regulatory you know, uh, process around it, then those businesses, we would want them to have some traction, which is going to be in the form of, in the form of revenue. So just curious, the 14 investments that you've made, how diversified are those companies? Cause I've had some people on talking about, I had specifically someone on talking about the biotech space in Alberta. And one of her positions was it's very challenging because the Alberta investor isn't comfortable with how biotech works. So they're very hesitant because they're looking for some of the traditional markers that aren't necessarily there because that industry just works differently. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Alberta isn't traditionally a place where biotech investing has been done a lot, especially at the scale of like some other larger markets, like obviously in the US. You get into um, the, bo- the Boston, the Boston corridor. Kind uh, of yeah. In that area. Or even like Toronto, right? Like okay. There is some big, big biotech VCs in Toronto. But I think that, you know, obviously due to like recent events with, with like COVID and stuff, like people are really looking at biotech as kind of the next generation of where a lot of wealth generation will be created. Um, and companies, you know, with technology uh, rapidly changing and improving, like companies are able to do things faster and faster. Okay. And I think because of that, investors should look to understand these industries better. Um, there is like obviously regulatory processes in biotech and medtech and medical devices that are very different from like a, a SaaS business. Okay. However, the the asymmetric change in a value of a company. Like when I, when I say that, I mean 
how fast value can be created mm-hmm. uh, depending on different places in the regulatory process is much is much more obvious in a biotech company than necessarily a SaaS business. Ah, okay. Okay. Where you're looking so at like, like AR, can, where you're looking at ARR, some of your traditional, yeah, so some you traditional can, metrics. Exactly. So you can actually create a lot of value for investors uh, by hitting certain uh, milestones that are much more, that are much more objective. Inter- ah, That's maybe interesting. Okay. Different. Now that I'm saying it, it's actually, it's these milestones are objective. So either the science or the technology works or it doesn't. The outcome's kind of binary and it's maybe less uh, less predicated on the execution of the team as it is on the actual science or technology that they've developed. Okay. Because that has to go through testing, that has to go through clinical trials. Either it works or it doesn't. Whereas like a SaaS business, execution, sales, marketing, these are so important. They're probably much more important than the technology. Not, not saying the technology isn't important, but like if you're looking at it as a spectrum, biotech, medtech, technology is the most important thing. IP is the most important thing. SaaS business, asset light business, management team, execution, sales, marketing, those are really, really important. The product is important because people have to want to buy it, but I'm sure there's examples in the world where people have sold products that maybe are inferior and they've made a lot of money on it. Right. And probably because because they, because they check some of the other boxes. No, I really yeah. appreciate Whereas understanding. That would never happen in biotech or medtech. It either it, I really like you said it works or it's not, and it's a binary. It's not subjective. It's subjective. Yeah. It works or, or or it doesn't. Yeah. So, when so you, that's why I'm like really excited in, in interesting about biotech and medtech, and we've we've made one pretty you know for us at least pretty large investment in a biotech company. Um, I mean, I'll shout them out. Racavita Therapeutics. They're built, they're making cancer therapeutic drugs. Okay. Uh, they're very early stage, but they're they're potentially a key or a, a great um, a great target for what's called accelerated approval. Mm, so okay. depending on the kind of w- what you're targeting in biotech or medtech, and um, maybe precedents that have set, been set before by other companies that are doing something similar, you can be granted what's called accelerated approval, which takes like a typically you know ten year regulatory process down to like maybe three or four years. Interesting. So and for, there's for, companies yeah. that are doing things that are really innovative and interesting that could be given this special access to completely shrink like the regulatory process um, because there's either precedent for their 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 technology from a previous company that has gone through the full regulatory process or um, what they're the solution they're offering is not addressed by anything else in a in a positive way yet. So they really need that product on the market. And it's a really niche market that needs it. Like in cancer therapy, some of these, you know, Racavina is targeting very specific types of cancer that don't otherwise have really good alternative treatments available yet. Hmm. So, so high, high, high need, high need bodies, equals high opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So curious, do you guys have um, yeah. people on your team to be able to evaluate? Like I think of myself as the individual, like hearing what you guys said, like there's two sides. I love there's two sides to your, your, your ecosystem. There's the companies you invest in, but there's also like almost the democratization of private equity investing of allowing someone who only has a quarter million dollars, I'm not saying only, I'm not minimizing that, but you're not coming in with 5 million. You're coming in with 200,000, 250,000. Oftentimes, yeah, I mean, and, are and you an accredited, like, do you have a team of people that mm-hmm. like, you know, clearly you, you sound like you've got a level of expertise kind of in the biotech and the health tech space. I guess, do I have the peace of mind as an investor when I partner with Red Thread that you're going to do that due diligence on my behalf? Like it just for the individual yeah, investor so, doesn't have time or the bandwidth or even the, the mm-hmm. expertise to identify what's a good investment and what's not. Yeah, and that's a really, really good point to bring up. So 
we're really fortunate because we're we work really closely with a network called Tandem Innovation Group, and Tandem is a true professional services firm, but it's built as a network of about two hundred independent consultants who are typically finance professionals, so like CFO type people. So very strong in compliance, accounting, bookkeeping, and obviously, you know, everything a CFO needs to do, which is M&A transactions, taking companies public. So in all situations when Red Thread is involved, at least so far, this is how it's been, we're leveraging those CFOs um, as helping us with our due diligence process with a lot of the companies. So going through the data rooms, making sure the financial model makes sense, in some cases, building a financial model for the company. So taking a really active approach that's collaborative with the entrepreneur to actually do the due diligence that we would need to do for us to actually elicit showcasing the opportunity to our other investors, as well as making an investment ourselves. So we're, we're, we're really trying to polish these companies and make sure that they're truly investable before we would ever invest. And, you know, obviously before we'd present it to other investors that would maybe want to join us and co-invest with us. Um, so that's really important to note. And then in some of these like more niche areas, like biotech, medtech, we leverage our relationships with other uh, very technically strong due diligence or advisory firms who are also investing in the deals. So like there's, a, you know, I'll throw it out like Novator Ventures. So they're big, notable firm, uh, maybe not big, but very notable biotech advisory firm in Vancouver. And they also do investments. And they helped us with some of the technical due diligence for like Rakavina Therapeutics. So all these companies that are maybe outside of our real scope of knowledge we would leverage some of our relationships with people really we really trust to help us understand where the risks and obviously where the opportunities are. So we better make an investment decision. So we are like, it's a very crowdsourced collaborative approach um, because we only have like true, truly on the red thread operations side, there's only a few of us, but we have large, a large body of resources because we have these relationships with firms and we, we try to like, you know, outsource things that we're maybe not, the best out, or maybe we just don't have the band, bandwidth for, um, but so we can still benefit from that knowledge. Well, you find right? you find you find the experts in your community, and and you know, uh, and, and you go in alongside them who they're also investing. Yeah. And no, it helps me understand the model. And I think it, it, the whole point of mm-hmm. the, this the, this series of shows is kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit and let people look in to go, how does it actually work? Because it does look like a big box, black box from the outside. Curious question. So the 14 investments that you've done so far, if you can think back to just where they were at or the due diligence you had to do to get them to a place. Now I'm, now I'm putting on my, I'm in a three to $6 million evaluation. I've got that hat on. I'm going, all right, I need some funding. What's out there for me, but more importantly, what do I have to do to be ready? So some thoughts around just what you would say to some future potential investment targets of what do they need to do mm-hmm. to set themselves up to be, you know, um, a preferred, a targeted investment from a company like Red Thread. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's 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 very dependent on who you're talking to. So, like a you know a company like Red Thread, we're part of our value proposition to the to the companies we're working with is hey, like we're going to really help fill holes in your investable story before we go and present it to other investors, and that's part of our due diligence, and that's how we're going to actually want to invest. Is we we want to do this due diligence with you. So we'll help you, you know, get your data room sorted, um, make sure your pitch deck makes sense, make sure your financial model makes sense, make sure that, you know, all the the contracts and legal agreements you you should have are, are well presented in your data room. And there isn't any gaps in that investable story. But that being said, there is still things that, you know, if we saw, we would just be like, hey, this is, you know, you're just not ready. And so it is kind of subjective. Like for, for me, 
you know, if they don't have anything in their data room, you know, if there's, if there's no contracts, if there's no financial model at all, if the, there's, you know, zero accounting that's been done in the company, they don't have, they're not registered with the CRA. Like there's just things that are just so, so red, such red flags that just show that you're not really ready to present to investors. So I think just making sure that if you're an entrepreneur that's looking for funding, that you, you have done your homework on just what do I need to have at least ready before I start talking to people? How do I need to showcase my business? What, what things in my business based on the industry I'm in should I have already done myself before I showcase this to investors? How, like, I think one of the biggest things for, for me personally, and I think a lot of investors would probably agree with this is there has to be a level of bootstrap in the company meaning they have to have done a lot of things themselves before they want it. They should present it. They shouldn't be looking for money just as a, as an easy out of doing things that they could do themselves. They should be looking for money because they really need the money to help grow and create more value faster in the company. But there is a lot of things you can do to bootstrap a company to a point where you should have some, some traction. Like obviously, depending on the business, like we were talking about biotech, medtech, like there yeah, is like depending on what kind of process. your specific industry markers but are for success, right? If yeah. you're building a SaaS business, like you should be able to bootstrap and get at least some traction or some pilots going with customers or some something that shows investors that you've actually put a reasonable effort in and truly need the money to grow faster and create more value where you couldn't do it if you didn't raise money. And I don't know if that makes that, that makes sense at all, but it's I think it's it is a little subjective. Uh, but just doing your homework, right? Really, right? What I heard loud and clear was don't don't come for look for money. Look, don't come to look for funding when it's kind of an out of doing things right. Versus like, yeah. hey, we have got to a place, and man, if I could just put a little more gasoline on this fire. But you've already got the fire. You've cut some wood. You've got it ready. Like there's a lot more. I hear what you're saying. I think, do you find that there's, there's companies out there that are just like, ah, oh, this is getting uncomfortable. Okay. I'm going to go raise money versus maybe yeah. doing what they need to do. That feels like that might be yeah. a, a trap. <laughs> it feels like a trap that you could slip into yeah. as an entrepreneur, maybe not even realize you're in it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cause it, cause sometimes like, you know, it's just, there's like a, the chatter of like, Oh, you're a startup. You got to raise money. It's like, well, I read Maybe it. I read, I read, I read it. I read it on social. I read it on social media. It must be true. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I mean, and if if you can build a business that's profitable and you don't need to raise money, that should be what you should want to do. You should only want to raise money if you're in if you're actually seeking an opportunity where you can exponentially increase the value. Oh, of that's your business. good. And the only way advice. you can do it is with extra pe- other people's money. But not every business falls into that category. And if you're building a business, your I mean, your first goal should to should I think in my mind, like if you know, if I go into the startup world and I want to build a startup myself one day, I would want to build a profitable business that maybe I didn't even need to raise outside money for, because um, then I can keep more of the business for myself. Yeah, ultimately, like there's, it's good to remember you're giving something up to get that money. Money's not free. Yeah, it's you know, not free. For, <laughs> it's not free. No, for and your guys, are you guys deeply? Are you guys doing debt equity? Like what? What? Just you know, we don't have to go into the dessert. You could write a, probably mm-hmm. a white paper on it. But typically, when you guys in these fourteen, is it a variety of different? Like, is it like safe notes? Is it you know? Is there some of this terminology mm-hmm. I'm starting to hear float around? How do you guys typically approach a company? Because these are smaller companies you're investing in, and these are smaller tranches yeah. of money. How does it typically yeah. show up on exactly. their balance sheet? Um, I would say ninety percent have been equity investments. Okay. There's been one or two that have been convertible notes, so debt. 
And typically those convertible notes are paying us an interest rate uh, every quarter, every year. Okay. Um, And then there's been a couple that have been safes. Okay. So, which is, you know, that's something that probably is worth a conversation, even just in terms of the way safes are viewed uh, by investors and how differently they're viewed by, by entrepreneurs. I think safes like, and, and, Don't quote me on everything I'm saying here because this is just some of the stuff that I've heard and like I've done a little bit of reading on things. But yep. you know, safes I think were created originally through well, Y Combinator, which is like one of the most world's most yep. famous accelerator programs in, in Palo Alto. Or it's kind of like the, who, the who's who of most of the tech companies we yeah. all know and love today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think safes, um, at least in my opinion, they were created because it it allows for speed. And speed is a huge factor in getting deals done. And especially for, for VCs in the U S where, you know, if, if there's a hot deal, like you want to just go fast, you don't want to have to waste time with lawyers and creating term sheets and like arguing over valuation. Like there's so many friction points and costs and inefficiencies that actually come about when you start to add price into the conversation. Um, and you're actually investing in a priced equity round, whereas a safe, it's like, you want to do a safe, you just, the company can come up with a safe agreement. They put like a valuation cap and there's a discount and investors can basically put money into that and say, Hey, at a future round, when we do have a price, when we know there's a lead investor who sets our price, that's, that's when we'll talk about valuation. But right now we just want to get the deal done. Uh, and at that point, your, your safe note that you're holding will actually convert into equity. Okay. Well, so, that's once, kind of how once, so, so safes are very much used in that early seed, pre-seed kind of yeah, opportunity. So they're exactly. only used in very just early rounds. Value, okay. That helps me yeah, understand. Just valuation yeah. is hard. Like, you know, it's like, how do you really tell what the valuation of a super early stage business is? It's, it's kind of just like throwing it, you know, throwing something out there and see what sticks really. Like it's more, it's more subjective than it is. You can't really measure it. It's not, not easy to at least. So yeah, that's why safes are created, but they're, you know, they're very founder friendly. It's fast. They don't have to like worry about the valuation. Like, you know, it's, it's a quick way for founders to raise money. But I think, at least in Canada, they're not perceived great because they, they kind of leave investors in almost like a limbo where you don't really hold equity in the company. You don't really hold, you don't hold debt, really. So if something goes wrong, um, you're kind of like, oh, well, I don't have any rights. I'm kind of just, I don't have, I have anything in this company. <laughs> so if you hold equity, then like you have equity. If you hold debt, then you have debt. But in a safe, it's kind of just, what do you really have? So you really have to trust that that safe will convert to equity. Um, and because of that, a lot of Canadian investors are maybe a little, you know, they don't like safes as much. Um, or if they want, if they're going to do a safe, they're more inclined to put different clauses on the safe where it's like, hey, if you don't convert by this date, the discount rate, you know, gets be- gets more in my favor. Or maybe there's like, uh, maybe it's not even, they don't even want to do the safe. Maybe they were like, Hey, we'll do a convertible note instead that pays them interest and then allows them to actually have debt. And so if the company goes south, at least they have debt and they, they can get their money paid back. So yeah, there's things to consider. I think for entrepreneurs in Canada that are wanting to do safes is like, if depending on who you're talking to, they could perceive it better than other people. Mm, Cause I, it's funny. I talked to an entrepreneur earlier this week who's doing a tech startup, uh, SAS play, uh, SAS play online, kind of a social, a social platform. Uh, but she had got a lot of her investors out of the U S and she was like, Oh, we have safe safes are the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly kind of what you said, but a lot of her investment came out of the U S from what cause I said, where's your investment? Sure. She goes, the bulk of it south of the border. And she goes, I was introduced to this concept of safes and it was easy and it was fast and kind of said all the things that, that you 
said, but I hadn't heard the name. I'd, I'd heard it, but I didn't really know what it meant. It just kind of gets said in passing and you kind of nod, but thank you for giving me a little bit more. So, hey, you touched on something there. South of the border versus north of the border, uh, you know, even Western Canada versus Eastern Canada. Where do we sit? Are we a couple years behind? Are we just less sophisticated as an investor group because our, our ecosystem is arguably pretty, pretty young? And I've heard a lot of people say like, yeah, everyone in Alberta is really comfortable investing in the resource sector, but these other sectors are kind of scary. And like, to your point, you really need to have experts to let you know how to read the tea leaves, if you will, in different areas. What's, what have you been experiencing mm -hmm. in terms of uh, the market out there for maturity? Yeah. I mean, I, it's, you know, obviously Alberta, uh, even Canada is much more, uh, earlier on in its development in terms of the venture funding and, you know, startup ecosystem, Alberta especially is like really in its infancy, but I think that also presents huge opportunities for people, right? Like more and more people are getting exposure to the tech industry. More and more investors are understanding there's more and more family offices that are investing in these, in these, uh, in these startups. Um, and, it's really only a matter of, of time, I think, because like Silicon Valley, Boston, like New York, some of these bigger hubs, uh, they've just been, they've just been around for so much longer. Um, especially like Silicon Valley. I mean, how many, how many unicorns or companies that are over a billion dollars in valuation, the most famous companies in the world, how much of, how many of them come from the U S versus Canada. Right. So I, but I do think it's a time thing. Um, and I do think, you know, we, we will probably not catch up, but we'll, we'll definitely improve in terms of the capital that's available for entrepreneurs and the amount of people that are interested in early stage venture capital investing, uh, which is like, that's part of what we're really trying to do at Red Thread too, is like, we're really trying to educate and get, get investors interested in early stage uh, private equity venture capital investing, because that's the only way that these things are really going to change is like educating people, making, making people more comfortable with doing these investments, um, explaining the risks though, like maybe being super transparent, but also just, you know, demystifying that, Hey, you don't have to invest a hundred thousand dollars into your first deal in one company. Why not invest a hundred thousand dollars in 10 companies? And you know, the, the, the creation of more of these like syndicate opportunities, special purpose vehicles, which is really what we're trying to do. Like we're Red Thread Ventures, our fund uh, is basically just being used as a way for investors to invest in smaller deals, more investors to invest in smaller deals. Um, and I think that's giving a, a good opportunity. You know, it's, it's allowing people to get more exposure to early stage investing without having to uh, invest so much at once, which can be super scary. And then also just very risky, like not the smartest thing. Well, yeah, no, I, I know, like the, the crawl, walk, run strategy makes a lot of sense versus like, okay, this is, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm putting it all on red. Like let's try not to go to Vegas with this kind of mindset. Yeah. Cause you say 14 100%. investments in a, in a million dollars, you know, you hear, I had someone on the other day, they were chatting and they said, you know, that sometimes it gets really poorly portrayed in the media because we talk about these huge funding rounds. But he goes, if you really look mm -hmm. at it, a lot of that big money is only going to a very small group of companies where you yeah. were able to positively, you know, I believe positively impact 14 different potential opportunities, life-changing moments for groups of people with a, with a million dollars. Uh, to me, that that's an interesting, like that's the gasoline we need to sprinkle around versus just throw it all in one place and boom, burns really mm -hmm. hot and then it maybe isn't there. Um, curious about... 
accredited investors versus not. I'm an individual sitting on the sidelines. I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I want to take part of these opportunities, but one, I don't have the knowledge. One, I'm a bit scared and I should be like, that's not, that's a smart fear. Fear is fear exists for a reason. <laughs> Keep us out of trouble. But when I come and invest with you guys, if I want to put in a quarter million dollars, like where, who do I have to be as an individual? Do I have to be accredited to be able to participate and maybe even define what that means mm -hmm. for people if they're starting yeah. to think about this? So like, for, those are really good questions. So uh, a lot of things to kind of unpack there. First of all, like when you're any of the investors that are investing with Red Thread, they're not investing a quarter million dollars. Okay. They're investing more so like 10,000, 25,000. Okay. Um, cool. And we're pooling a bunch of them together to invest, you know, maybe like a hundred thousand or $200,000 into okay. the company. Thanks for so that's kind of, that's a, what, what numbers we say matter. So thanks for like, re, yeah, re, thanks for re, re leveling that conversation. It's, you know, it's, it's these, some of the terms we're talking about are very uh, relative to who you're talking to and who's, you know, speaking it and where you are in the world. Right. So um, more of a, you know, traditional venture fund model is more so if you're a high net worth individual, like an LP in a venture fund, you would invest like typically at least like $250,000. Um, but we're really trying to play at an earlier stage with investors that are maybe not at that level yet. So that's why we're more so like, you know, invest $10,000, invest $20,000, invest $25,000. And we'll just pool like, you know, 10 people. Uh, and then we'll make an investment with Red Thread as, as kind of the entity that's actually investing on behalf of all the investors. Um, but I think so. The, and the second the second point you were kind of mentioning there is like accreditation um, and the different rules that exist around that. And, and this is kind of a difficult one because like you know, my idealistic self really, and, and really what I think we're really wanting to do at Red Thread is allow everyone to invest in private equity. Um, because if you can understand the risks and you're not investing your whole life savings into one company, you should, all everyone should allocate some of their portfolio to private equity investing because it's the most, it's the most fun you're going to have investing in companies. It really is. <laughs> like in terms of in terms of the impact you make, the relationships you can make with the entrepreneurs, um, you're actually helping your neighbor. Really, that's what it is. Invest in your neighbor, which is is just that's the that's the coolest thing about it. I think is that you're actually creating so much impact in your local ecosystem, uh, which is the only way that that you know Canada or Alberta is going to really be able to you know, compete on a, hopefully a global stage in this game is if people are investing in the early companies and that starts with the angel investors and the people that we're really trying to empower to do this kind of investing. But the issue around that is that there is still like these, you know, somewhat archaic rules around who can actually play in this game. And it's like, if you're not already rich, you can't play. If you're not, if you don't have, and the typical exemptions are, if you don't have a million dollars in liquid assets, if you don't have a $5 million net worth, or if you don't have at least $200,000 net income a year, you can't play in this venture capital space because you're quote unquote, not accredited. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. It's too risky for you. But you know, the guy who already is rich, oh, it's not risky for him. And I kind of understand where those rules came from. Yeah. If you look, right? if you look where like they you're, you're, originated from versus yeah, we like, live in a I don't different think time. It, I don't think they were created in some like, you know, um, uh, bad way that people were trying to like prevent others from, you know, getting up in the world. But I do think just in the way that knowledge has been able, you know, knowledge is accessed today and how people can learn these things on their own and the education level that a lot of people can attain 
they are kind of outdated rules, right? So although Red Thread Ventures are fun, we still have to play by those rules. We're really trying to like figure out creative ways where we can allow other people to, people who are not accredited to invest in these, in these, uh, in our funds, into these companies. Um, there has been some positive steps, I think, in the, a few of the provinces across Canada to allow people who are quote unquote, not accredited to invest. Okay, you, in, be, you beat me to my next question. I'm like, so yeah. what, 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 is there any changes happening? Is there any, so there is, in- there is changes. Like okay. things are happening. Like there is, you know, in the U S there's the jobs act, um, which, which is, is, is moving things in the right direction. There is, um, Introduction of introduction of like Reg D, which is a way for companies to finance uh, private rounds from the public, kind of okay. like crowdfunding exemptions. Yeah, oh, so interesting. Canada, like, okay. We have the crowdfunding exemption where you know there's companies like Front Funder in the U.S. There's like Republic where companies can go and and raise up to a certain amount of money from the public. So there is little things that are happening, and then like in Alberta recently, there was an introduction of the, I think it's called self. I don't even remember the word. It's like um, self-sophisticated, self-identified, sophisticated investor or something. Okay. That's an interesting, don't quote me on the words. It's something like that. And it basically means like, if you have the, the, a certain amount of education, or if you're quote unquote sophisticated, even if you're not an accredited investor yet, you can invest directly into some of these companies. But the issue with that is still that when a company is raising money, especially in Canada, an early stage company, they don't want a bunch of small shareholders on their cap table because there's rules around how many shareholders you can have on your cap table. So it's, although these are positive steps in the right direction, they still don't allow these individuals to invest in, into special purpose vehicles or entities like red thread ventures uh, because red thread and these kinds of entities, they still need to play by the rule of we can only invest money from accredited investors because that's the exemption that red thread ventures uses. So I know there's a lot of like, legal jargon it's kind of complicated but what i'm saying is there is steps in the right direction but they're still not really they're not really where they should be i think at least right now like they're they're getting there but there's still room to go um in terms of just letting more people kind of play in this space especially if you want to and you're educated and you understand the risks like the government shouldn't tell you what you can do with your money i think it's just I'm not, are you, yeah, are, you, like are, you, are you are you taking any less risks with well simple Robinhood? Like I've seen some of the statistics well, that, over the last 100%. year of this rapid growth yeah. of the of the money being invested, and yeah. and the emotional ride. And someone showed me a graph of like yeah. Robinhood and Tesla kind of almost paralleled in terms of their growth and the ability for just everyday people to access brands or companies yeah. that they believe in doesn't mean that they have financial acumen of investing in those companies. Mm -hmm. They just got caught up in the, in the media machine sometimes. And again, I'm not minimizing anybody, but it's interesting. There's a lot of double standards going on. I'm hearing for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I, I love, I love what those financial technology platforms are doing. I use well, simple. I kind of wish I had Robinhood. We don't have that in Canada, obviously, but I mean, it's awesome to be able to do that on your phone and like get more people involved. But I still think like, where the real impact is and the real, the way that we can really improve society as a whole and, you know, create that economic um, uh, growth and technological growth and technological change and adoption that we really want in Alberta or in Canada broadly is through early stage investing. It's not through Mark buying shares of Tesla. (laughs) Right. It's like, that's not even, you're not even putting money into Tesla when you're, you're exchanging Yes. money with another another person on a platform so it's like you're 
it's cool because it allows more people to invest and hopefully generate wealth for themselves, but it's still not really impactful at all. Mm, I like that. Uh. Yeah. No, I get it. I, it's interesting. I have an old, I have an investment book on my shelf. The whole thesis of the, they wrote a whole book about it was invest in what you know, invest local, invest in what matters to you. You know, don't look, don't look so far mm-hmm. away for the magic answer. Sometimes it's right in your backyard. That was kind of the thesis of the mm-hmm. book. But I love what she said. Like if we talk about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, very popular topic these days, especially in the last couple of years for all the good reasons. What I'm hearing is this democratization or the opportunity. Not only are we getting more people being entrepreneurs, because that's a, let's be honest, 20 years ago saying you were an entrepreneur, like you got sent to remedial class. Like uh, when I was in school, saying you were an entrepreneur was not a cool thing to say. We're now, but, but how do we like this ecosystem of people taking their wealth, their families, success into their own hands as business owners, we need this mm-hmm. other ecosystem. Like it has to balance out because there's so many sides to what's going to allow those 14 companies you invested in to be successful. How do we change this? But the, the, the world's changing faster than the rules are able to keep up. That's kind of what I'm hearing from you mm-hmm. a little bit too. And that, that's just I, also I a reality. So too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, so interesting. And from an, Al- an Al- Alberta perspective, um, you, you're in Edmonton, correct? I'm in Edmonton. Yeah. yeah Edmonton so, and as far as companies, obviously, are you looking at companies primarily in Alberta, Western Canada, or do you guys look at really opportunities from anywhere? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. So we're really trying to be a global firm, okay? A global community, global community, um, global invest- investors looking at things on a global level. Um, but that being said, like we are recently looking more and more in Alberta. And I think just based on my, you know, it's based on kind of, if you're an investor, it's totally just based on your own personal networks, where you're going to be seeing deal flow, who you know as other investors, you know, where the opportunities, you're going to find the opportunities. It's like my personal networks are much stronger in British Columbia, Vancouver, uh, as well as in Eastern Canada and Toronto, just because of, you know, who I've known in my life, as well as then in Asia, I spent a lot of time living in China and, and I worked for about a year in Bangkok. So those are a lot of the people that I know. And just because of that, I think the networks that I found myself in, uh, I was starting to get deal flow from those areas. However, in the last couple of months, we've gotten much more involved in the Alberta ecosystem. So like, for example, we joined Startup TNT, shout out to Tim and Zach. Uh, they've been doing some amazing things with that platform. And we've seen a lot of cool companies through that through those guys. And then I'm also part of Valhalla Angels, and Valhalla is is uh, an angel inv- investment network of you know a bunch of angel investors, primarily Western Canada though. So there's a lot of companies from Alberta that also pitch to Valhalla. Um, so I've been getting more and more exposure to Alberta, and, and as a result, like Red Thread as a whole is trying to work with more companies from Alberta. Okay, awesome. And uh, any advice for like. I'm in that three to six million valuation range. I got my head down. I think networking is so important, but it's so easy thing of an overlap because you're so busy building your company. I guess, yeah. you know, uh, is it as simple as just the advice of like, you're, you should always be in, in kind of networking and in, in capital raise mode as the owner of a company? I guess it's so hard when you kind of, I'll be blunt, head down, ass up, doing work. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're like, oh geez, you know, I guess any recommendations on that front from those business owners, those entrepreneurs, those guys, those guys and gals that are grinding it out mm-hmm. on making sure they get connected into the networks that you're yeah. in? Because it takes both, right? It's, sure. it's, it's kind of like dating, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, I think, the situation you don't want to be in as a, as a startup is you don't want to have to raise money and have to do it in a short time frame. Otherwise your company will go under. And if you don't have relationships already established, that's a really difficult place to be in. Cause then you basically have to step completely away from your business and switch to fundraising mode and start building relationships from scratch. And if there's also the time crunch of, Oh, if we don't raise money in four months, we're done. 
that's not a good place to be in. So I think just this kind of comes back to if you're an entrepreneur, if you're building a startup, like you do want to be like doing that relationship development and business development with customers, but also with investors or potential people that might want to support you as you grow as early on as possible. And it doesn't have to be the first conversation with an investor, you know, it doesn't have to be, Hey, will you invest in my business? It can be, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Like, what are your thoughts? We'd love to hear kind of some insights from you. Is, is this something you'd be interested in the future? Like, do you think I'm solving a real problem? Um, just to kind of get the, the word out there. Right. And then joining like some of the ecosystem events, like, you know, uh, um, startup Edmonton, startup Calgary, platform Calgary, uh, there's different, you know, places in Canada that do this as well. Like, you know, those local ecosystem hubs, like just being part of that and being active, those are great places to plug into too, because that's also where a lot of the investors are going to maybe find companies much, much earlier than that company necessarily needs to raise capital. So building those relationships as early as possible, I think is really important. Someone told me the other day, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. <laughs> <laughs> it resonated. I took me a second to unpack it. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. actually pretty brilliant. I really, I really, I really like that. Yeah. You know, go go around for ask for money. Well, I don't want to invest, but let me tell you what I think you should do. <laughs> yeah, Mark, super informative conversation. One, I appreciate your passion and you know the, the the why and what you guys are doing and why you're doing it really kind of shows through for me and you know the purpose around it and kind of raising everybody up t- together. Like we're the in it together mindset. I, I really appreciate versus the the lonely business owner and the and the investor who holds all the power, like if you democratize that and level the playing field, it allows a bigger market for everyone to play in. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. it, it makes everything bigger and then gives more opportunities. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you on, on either side? Is it website? Is it reach out to you directly? Like I'm assuming there's a bunch of people yeah, now just yeah. writing to reach out and kind of pick your brain. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm funny. I don't, I don't really use social media at all. So I, I noticed I tried to creep no, you on LinkedIn and I couldn't find you. No. Okay. I do use LinkedIn. So okay. actually LinkedIn, you know, people can, can add me on LinkedIn to be honest. Like I'm not, okay. I'm not as receptive to LinkedIn messages as I'd like to be yep. just cause there's, yeah, there's a lot of, I get a lot of messages. Um, I think, you know, a, an email is fine. I'm, I'm not even, I, I don't mind just giving them my email address to be honest. Okay. So, so we can, we, can, we mar- can post that. I'm assuming also red, yeah, you can, red, red thread, red thread ventures. You guys can, you guys have a website. I've been yeah, to 100%. it. So, I mean, if you're, if, yeah. And if you're, if you're an investor and you want to get kind of plugged into what we're doing, you know, you can go to the red thread ventures website. Um, it's uh red thread, uh, www.redthread.ventures. And there's an investor tab. You can click it and, you know, you can, you can kind of learn a little bit more about what we're doing. Um, if you're an entrepreneur, like we have our, we have our uh, email address on the website and I'm ha- also happy to share my personal email address with anyone who just wants to send me a quick note and, um, I'm really open to talking to people on the phone. I'm I'm pretty old school like that. I think uh, <laughs> it still you know, works. It's, it's still it's still a good way great. to talk to two humans. I know, man. I'm with you. I think it's yeah. It's it's great that we have you know all these different communication platforms. But to be honest, I'm a little communication platformed out, especially because of the last year. You know, just doing things virtually. So I actually prefer to talk to people on the phone. Um, so happy to like, you know, if someone wants to email me and we can set up a time to chat, like that's always something I'm open to doing. So fantastic. And you've guys got anything exciting on your, on your kind of on your horizon right now in terms of companies we, or anything going on? Lot, yeah. You want to, uh, you want to let anything out of the bag or no, it's up to you. <laughs> I mean, we're just seeing so many interesting opportunities and I think like my personality, uh, I innately want to help everyone. Right. And I think that's, that's probably something that a lot of people struggle with just earlier on in their careers is, Hey, um, you know, where do I really want to allocate my time? Uh, that being said, there's still 
you know, probably half a dozen companies that we're working with right now that we are looking to make investments in in the near future um, that I would love to share with other people that are potentially interested in co-investing with us. Or um, and if there's entrepreneurs out there too that like that, like I said earlier, like that maybe want to learn more about how we help companies. Um, just happy to happy to have a chat. So. Yeah, I won't say any specific names, but like, you know, you're keeping your cards close, Mark. I I appreciate that. I appreciate space, space tech, like some of these cool industries. There's been a lot of interesting companies that are popping up now um, that we're going to support. So I'm very excited about this wave that we're on in Alberta. And you're right. It's early days, but let's not forget those early is where you can also find a lot of opportunities when it's not overly saturated. And Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of people, quote unquote, finding their way through through this whole thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Mark, uh, Happy to support anytime, man. Let's stay in touch. That was a great conversation. I, you really gave me some yeah. new thinking and kind of broke out a few things that the buzzwords have been floating around in my head and I didn't really I didn't really have a full understanding of how they fit into this whole kind of chain of events. And from an audience perspective, mm-hmm. I think I think you gave a lot of really, really good value today, man. Thanks. That was an awesome conversation. Yeah. I, really, I really appreciate thanks it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Tyler. And thanks again for having me on. And uh, yeah, just hope, hoping that the listeners get some value out of this. I think, I think they absolutely will. That was a great chat. Thank you, my friend, and all the best. Cheers. Bye.